So, uh, as Linda said earlier, this is the last sermon in our series from uh, 1 John. And we're uh, yeah, going to be unpacking these last few verses. For those of you that were here last week, uh, Emma uh, talked about how we've been circling around, or John has been circling around, uh, three things a lot in, uh, in this whole letter. And that was, if you remember, belief in Jesus Christ as a son of God. Um, uh, love of God and of others. I'm doing the actions, aren't I, from the, from the thing. And also change, transformation in the way that, that we believe and we, uh, transformation in the way we behave. And those three things come around a lot in this letter. And here at the conclusion of the letter, John reminds his disciples of one of the greatest tools that we have as a church to help us continue along this path of transformation. And what is that gift? It's the gift of prayer. Prayer, I believe, is a fantastic gift that God has given every single one of us. But yet it's a gift that is often misunderstood and almost certainly underused by a lot of us. Some of us think it's some mysterious dark art and we're not sure quite if we're allowed to do it or not or even how to do it. Maybe we worry that we might say the wrong thing. But actually prayer is an incredible gift that God has given to us all that we can talk to God about. We can come into his presence and talk about. I'm going to show in a moment, uh, we're going to show a film from the clip gravity that sort of shares a little bit how I think a lot of us, or a lot of people in the world, uh, view prayer. All you need to know from this clip is that a catastrophe has happened in space, and the character uh, you see is uh, she's speaking into something that's recording her voice, but she is all alone, and she thinks she's about to die. Let's watch the clip. Now, I know it's a clip from a film, but in that moment when she thought she was going to die... She wanted to pray. She wanted to do something. She showed an inkling that prayer had the power to make some kind of difference in that situation, that it was needed, that it would at the very least bring some kind of comfort to her. Yet she had no idea how to pray. And she finishes with those words, nobody ever taught me how. It's quite a haunting line, isn't it? She doesn't know how to pray because nobody has ever taught her how. And we live in a world, I think, where it is increasingly common for people to have little idea why or how to pray, even ourselves. We know it's important. We know it can make a difference. Yet we don't sure, not sure how to do it day to day, and perhaps we only ever are moved to think about it in a disaster. Well, this is not how John thinks we should use prayer. Prayer does have the power to help in a disaster, but it's something we should be doing day to day and regularly. And that's one of the things that John is asking his believers to look at and think about at the end of this letter. John finishes this letter telling the church members to pray for one another because he knows it has power and he knows it can make a difference. So as we go through this letter, I'm going to share sort of three points with us that sort of feed off that, the importance of praying regularly. Do use your handout sheet if that is helpful. 
um, or if not, just listen to what I'm going to say. Uh, the first thing I want to say about prayer is it is a, about the privilege of prayer. Being able to pray to this awesome God is such a huge privilege. And it's easy for us today not to realize the amazing gift it is to be able to talk to God through Jesus. You know, in in Old Testament times before uh, Jesus came, uh, people would often go to the temple to pray. They'd have to do sacrifices to become clean before God, wanting to get close to his presence, calling out to the inner part of the temple where God's presence was said to reside. Yet now through Christ, we're told we have access to pray to God wherever we are because God's Holy Spirit, when we believe in him, comes and lives in us and gives us access to God through Jesus. I wonder how many of you have heard this famous story about uh, a soldier once who got to meet Abraham Lincoln. It was uh, a while ago, following the American Civil War, uh, a dejected soldier was sitting outside the gates of the White House ground and a young boy approached him noticing he was looking really uh, sad and inquired why he was so dejected. And the soldier related this story about how he'd repeatedly tried to go and see uh, President Lincoln to tell him that he had been unjustly deprived of land that he uh, belonged after he came back from serving his country in the Civil War. But whenever he tried to get in there, into the White House, the guards would cross their bayonets, stand in his way, and refuse to give him entry. And the boy simply said to the soldier, follow me. And when they approached the entrance to the white hand, the guard stood to attention and just let the boy with the soldier straight through. The boy walked straight up to the White House, into the library, walked up to President Lincoln, who was sitting down in there, and said, Dad, I've got someone you want to meet. You ought to meet. The soldier had gained an audience with President Lincoln through his son. And this is the type of access that we have to our Father now through Jesus Christ. There are no obstacles in our way. We can pray to God in an incredible, close way. There are no gates or guards in our way if we have Christ, God's Son, in our lives. It's an amazing privilege, and it's a privilege to have access to a God who not only allows us to come into our presence, but as John tells us, a God who hears. Listen to what John says in verse 14 of of these verses that we had read to us. This is the confidence, some translations say bold confidence. This is the bold confidence we have approaching, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God hears us when we ask things according to his will, we're told. John doesn't say God might hear us, dependent on his mood or something else. No, we can be assured that our prayers, when we come in Jesus' name, are heard. Those guards and fences are not going to stop us. So we have a God who hears. And the second thing to bear in mind about the privilege of prayer is that when we do pray, we are praying also to a God who not only hears, but who loves to give. I don't want us to get too carried away from verse, in verse 15, uh, but it says this, that if God hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. 
This is not a promise of some kind of rich benefactor who just gives us whatever we want whenever we want it. That's not a healthy relationship. I've seen a few uh, children that kind of have that relationship with their parents in, in, in my past and seeing the damage that that does to the children and also uh, to the parents and the dysfunction that causes in relationship is evidence that that's not a healthy kind of relationship and that's not the purpose of prayer just to get what we want. Prayer isn't a device for imposing our will upon God but rather for allowing our will to be shaped and moulded by his will. In verse 14, remember it said, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Prayer is about seeking God's will. I don't know uh, if you remember a few moments ago, we said the Lord's Prayer, didn't we? First four lines of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, our Father, our closeness of relationship. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed just means honoured. Honoured be your name. Your kingdom come. And then the fourth line, your will be done. That's a a prayer Jesus taught his disciples to say right at the start. It's about discerning God's will, asking for God's will to come, seeing things from his perspective. Prayer begins with focusing on God and seeing things from his point of view. Now, this shouldn't discourage us from asking uh, anything from God if we're unsure about what to pray for, if we're not sure what God's will is or not. We can still pray knowing we have a God who listens and who cares for us and having a God that will answer them, answer our prayers when they're in accordance with his will. I've seen incredible things happen uh, when people are prayed for. Sometimes, not even honestly, I'm really honest with myself, thinking that they are going to be answered. I've seen incredible things happen. But I've also had prayers that I thought were God's will that I haven't seen answered. And that's tough. But what I do in those times is I trust God, even though I don't understand. Because I know, and as we're told later on in these verses, that there is nothing more powerful than God. So even if the worst happens, we can still trust him. But I'll talk more about that later on. But let's look particularly about what John does encourage us to pray for in these final few verses. There are lots of things that we can pray for. In fact, in another place in the Bible, in the book of Philippians, there's a verse in 4.6 that says this, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, present your requests to God. We are able to pray about anything. But here in this passage, at the end of this letter, John highlights a particular concern that he wants the church to pray for. And it shouldn't surprise us, bearing in mind what John has been talking about in this letter, about growing in love for one another and having our lives transformed by Christ. John instructs the church to pray for one another, pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse 16 uh, with me, if you would like to, in your Bible. If anyone sees his brother, his fellow Christian sin, I'll miss out the little bit, I'll come back to that later, Pray and God will give him life. That bit, um, sin about that leads to death, I'll come on to that in a moment. Pray, but if anyone prays for your, if anyone sees his brother sin, pray and God will give him life. John is saying we should pray for one another. Remember those three markers of, of belief in Jesus, love of God and neighbor, and transformation of behavior. 
And right here at the end of the letter, John is saying, let's pray for the continued transformation of one another's behavior. I don't know about you, but I find that really encouraging because John has been quite challenging at times, saying, talking about this transformation and that we don't uh, go on sinning. But right here, there's this recognition at the end that we are going to mess up and we need prayer to help with our continued transformation. Uh, I have seen my life change in many ways over my relationship with God over the years. But I know, and my wife's sitting there and she knows, that I've still got a long way to go in the transformation uh, before I am sinless. There's plenty more to happen. And John is recognizing this case at the end of the letter and telling the church that prayer is vital to help us all continue down this path of living lives that are different and marked by this love. And there are two practical ways I think we as a church can make use of this tool and make use of this great great gift. And there are two blindingly obvious things. And the first is for us to pray for the people around us. Simple as that. Don't just pray for ourselves, tempting as it often is, to look at what's going on in our lives and just pray for ourselves. God does want us to pray for ourselves. But we also need to make sure we spend time praying for those around us. Not in a judgmental way, but in a grace and love-filled manner. Recognizing that we're also works in progress. So let's pray for one another. The second thing to do, which is probably the slightly more scary one, is allow other people to pray for you. This may be slightly scary on the surface because our natural tendency is to try and hide away the things in our lives that aren't perfect, isn't it? We don't like other people to see our imperfections and our failures. But John is clear at the end here that one of the best ways to help with the transformation, with the things that are going on in our life that aren't as they should be, is to get a brother and sister or sister to pray for you. And you can do that in many ways in our church. We've got prayer ministry uh, team that are here at all the services. They love to pray with you uh, after or before services about anything, big or small, whether it's for you or somebody else. Get somebody to pray for them. Make use of them. If you're in a small group, share vulnerably, appropriately vulnerably, things that are going on in your life that you want prayer for with other people. Get them to pray for you. Maybe somebody that you come along to church with on a Sunday, people that you trust. Allow other people to pray for you in those places where you really need it. Because as John says at the end here, prayer works. When we pray for one another, God will give us life. There'll be prayer ministry available at the end of this service. So if there's something uh, this morning that's on your mind that you think you would like somebody to pray for and you don't know who to, just go to the prayer ministry team. Don't be scared about it. We are a loving community and nobody here is going to look down and think, oh, I wonder what's wrong with, wrong with them. Are you? No? Good. So make use of prayer because it really does work and it makes a fantastic difference in people's lives. So that's what to pray for. So what is this uh, mortal sin or the sin that uh, leads to death that John mentions in this passage? What is that about? Uh, I just want to say this is not the easiest passage to understand uh, in, in the Bible. Sometimes in the Bible there are verses where you just uh, you look at it and you go, what on earth is he talking about there? And this, is, this was one of those initially when I read it. 
but let me uh, share with you where I think sort of I've uh, what I think these, these these verses actually actually mean. I haven't got time to go through all the different options, but I'll share with you uh, sort of what I think is happening in there. The first thing I want to say is that the death that John is talking about here is not a physical death, but a spiritual death. So it's not, John's not talking about don't pray for somebody who's doing a really stupid sin that's going to lead to them dying physically. Um, He's talking about a spiritual sort of cut off from God death. So that's the first thing. Uh, The second thing I want to say, the the sin that leads to death is simply, I think, the threat that John has been warning his believers about throughout this letter. For those of you that have been following this, hopefully you'll remember the context of this letter, is that John was writing this letter to these group of churches in in communities that were really being uh, threatened by people that were denying who Jesus was, denying that he was fully God, uh, denying that we needed to love one another, and we're simply going around hating on the believers and calling on people to reject Jesus as God's son. So that's kind of what I think uh, John is talking about here in these verses. And if both those things are true, then actually if we believe and trust in in Jesus as God's son and accepting his love for us, the following verses make even a more powerful and great sense afterwards because we don't need to fear then that we are people that have accidentally committed this sin that leads to death, because I don't think anyone here this morning is actively going around doing that, hating one another and telling people to reject Jesus. We haven't committed it. So if you're worried about committing it, you probably haven't, so don't worry. The other thing to mention here as well is that in this context of people actively trying to draw people away uh, from, from community faith, John is saying our first concern should be to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ for those that, so that we aren't drawn away or tempted by those people that are doing those things. We should pray for our brothers and sisters and those that are unsure of their faith for the loving community to grow. But please note, John doesn't ban us in these verses for praying for those people. He just says our first concern should be for our brothers and sisters in Christ. John is not prohibiting prayer for those that are acting in those way, in that way. And the verse ends up, as I said, really, really encouraging because John is basically saying that those, the person born of God cannot commit that sin that leads to spiritual death. The devil is unable to harm us in that way. And in the light of that, some would argue, of perhaps, that a better, a sort of more uh, helpful translation of verse 18 would be this. No one who is born of God sins sin that leads to death. How encouraging is that? We might mess up, but we're not going to sin sin that leads to death because we have Christ in us who is much more powerful than that. I hope that was a helpful sort of little explanation of what's going on in those tricky few verses in the middle of the passage there. But let me move on to the final words, the final few verses that Jesus said, that John says in here, in his letter. So John finishes by reminding us of that encouraging truth that I've just been talking about, that God keeps his children safe. There are so many influences in the world that will try and draw us away from the truth about Jesus. Some can be subtle. Some can actually be quite brazen. 
But John is reminding all his readers here and reminding all of us now that if we trust in God, he will continue to lead us in truth and down that right path. The noise of the world may seem unbearable at times, but as God, as, uh, as John has been saying throughout, God is stronger than whatever we might face in this world. He has this unbreakable hold on us when we believe in his name that in, and in Jesus' name. He comes and lives in us and there is nothing that can happen that can take that away. The worst cannot separate us from God. What's this final verse about? John says, I ask you. It seems like John's introducing a brand new idea right at the end. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Actually, it's not a new idea at all. It's just what this whole letter is about. An idol is anything you value above God. And John is summarizing his plea for the Christians here in the whole letter. Not to let anything draw them away from the truth of God. Any idol, but to stay focused on Christ and not let anything distract them from that. And we know that that is what happened in the church. The church has, by and large, it's had some ups and downs in the past. It has stayed focused on Christ, which is why we are still here some 2,000 years after this letter was written. It's a real encouragement that when we hold firm and stay with Christ, God doesn't let his people go, whether we go through good times or bad times. Because God's power is stronger than that of the world around us. So let us use that as an encouragement for our lives, whether we're in a good place or a bad place right now. Let's stay rooted in Christ, learning to love one another and allowing ourselves to be transformed by that power, by praying for each other and by praying for one another. What I'm going to do right now as I finish is I'm going to do what John's instructed us to do here. Is I'm going to pray for us all. I'm going to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we take hold of what we've learned in this letter about the incredible power of God, of his ability to transform us, help us to love one another, that we will stay rooted in that and that as we go out, we will stay being and growing in Christ in loving one another and allowing ourselves to be transformed by him. So let's pray.